afternoon, everyone. Uh, today is Sunday, the 16th of May. It's been a while, man. <laughs> it has been a while. And this is our first, this is our first in-person podcast. Yeah. Oh, wow. Actually, yeah. Yay! And today, we are welcomed <laughs> by the one and only Davis Johnson himself, Jerome Johnson. Hello, everyone. Hello, Jerome. So, yeah, if, if you guys haven't listened to episode three of our podcast, um, he was a uh, the guest for that so welcome back Jerome thank you for having me again but yeah it's uh he's a good friend of the show he's a good friend of Mike's now a good friend of mine so really really happy and um the main focus for today's podcast is mental health awareness so it's only right that we've invited Jerome uh, as this is his field of expertise and we're going to educate ourselves and sort of get some guidance on how we can better educate ourselves on this topic and how you know we can support those who do suffer from mental health uh, and have uh, complications with you know I don't know what the word is um, or who have who have mental health uh, issues and um, where they can where and how they can get support with that mm. that's that's the that's the thing with me is that I don't know if we say like what is the right wording when it comes to this kind of topic the same issues seen as like a that's negative okay, but that's part of the intro so when mm. i ask you about what that means it's okay if you get it wrong i don't want to say it's a disorder because i don't know if that comes across offensive or but then you can talk about that because mm. that's that is a very good point because your um unsurety about that is probably reflective of many people who don't quite know what the right wording is or mm. what what the meaning is attached to certain different words and what that could mean to the other mm. person they're talking about or talking to. So I think it's quite normal to kind of throw up those kind of, do, what do I say? How do I feel about it? Is it the right word? Mm. I'm like, I need to be sensitive around that. It's like, I don't want to offend. I don't want to get it wrong. And that's okay. That's okay. You're being honest about how you feel and how you want to address that, which is, that's absolutely fine. Okay, that's very reassuring because I don't, it's a very sensitive subject for us to be talking about on this, like I've said it in the, in episode three, but I think it's a very important subject to discuss. So mm -hmm. I think this is where I look forward to sort of getting your thoughts in it, getting Mike's thoughts in it, probably sharing our own experiences with uh, mental health and you know those we do know who have been affected by it so yeah let's 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 start with an introduction into mental health and can you from your perspective for those who aren't really well acquainted with that that term can you kind of give us a broad uh, definition of what it is and what is you do um, to help those with mental health um, so mental health in itself, I think, has uh, lots of different meanings to people. Um, I like to think of it from a therapeutic point of view as the uh, sort of attending to my well-being, both mentally, physically, emotionally. Hmm. So it's a combination of lots of different things, sort of a balanced way you feel generally good um, and there will be indicators in your life that 
would sort of like flax that I think this is this is sort of I'm going off balance maybe so this this doesn't make me feel good I'm I'm not sure what's going on um, and things that sort of in isolation is potentially not that bad but if it's something that's repetitive something that's for you where you feel like this is this is not quite right this something is something that I'm experiencing that is it's weighing heavy on your mind so it's persistent and it's uncontrollable um, it can it can feel that way it can feel that way something that is almost sort of um, you find difficult to navigate your way through it might be difficult to understand it might be difficult to know or to name um, or to admit to or to acknowledge um, that for me would be an indication of something that's affecting your general well-being it could be physically it could be mentally it could be emotionally the sort of they're all they're all they're all interlinked sort of your mental health is, is sort of housed in your mind but your mind and your body and your emotional well-being are all sort of interlinked and connected. They're all parts of the same same components to the same piece. And um, any one of those things that are sort of anything that sort of threatens a balance on that in a way that negatively impacts on your life mm. um, would be a mental health issue of some description. And something that you feel that is um, at a point where you are struggling in some way, or you're finding you're finding it difficult to continue living your life as you had done before, because something in it is is happening to you or around you, um, or you're affected by that is interrupting the balance of of your well-being. So it's, it's not necessarily just having the dark thoughts and the breakdowns. It's It could be as little as from not eating uh, or getting enough sleep. Could that be signs? Yeah, I mean, it's be, mental health is a very complex subject mm -hmm. and there's so many variances and contributing factors that are very unique to the individual. Um, could, we, could we discuss the different types of variances of mental um, health disorders? In itself, there's like... I, I, so for me, as a therapist, I deal a lot with um, anxiety and depression. Um, and that's um, a reoccurring uh, theme in the work that I um, do a lot in and have done in the past year. And I'm likely to. So it's particularly something like anxiety. Um, most of us will have at some level have anxiety on some scale or another have you, in, in, you, say you like yeah that? yeah i myself is, is included in that i have had um anxiety over a number of sort of different things in my life um so that's that's sort of a very um common um issue that i um i work with uh, depression as i say is another one um certain sort of uh, mental health disorders, so compulsive disorders, for example, yeah. personality disorders, um, are just some of them. And within those sort of umbrella terms, 
there's lots of different types as well. It's it's a very very um, vast area of work, and it's very complex with each different type that comes with it. And so it's it's even just as that as a subject, it, it's so vast and big for the sort of people who have any of those types of issues. It can feel very overwhelming. Hmm. Um, because of some of those labels that those things are have and what that might mean for the individual. And as an individual, no one's the same. So there's not one rule for all. That's it. So the condition is, is given the same label, but people's, um, how they arrive in with that condition, how they manage that, if they're not managing, how they're navigating their way through that, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, for a number of different reasons. There's so many, as I say, contributing factors. Um, in, my, in my work, I'm, I'm a person-centered therapist. Um, Carl Rogers is the um, therapist who, um, of which the person-centered theory um, is named after. And he talks about uh, given the right core conditions in the environment that you're in, you can achieve and become um, the, and achieve your full potential, essentially. So you can become your true, authentic self. That's what he's talking about. Things that threaten that are like there's a varied uh, amount of things that can sort of threaten that and take you off course. But it's things like your um, attachment to your um, primary caregivers, how your upbringing. Um, social, economic um, situations, um, the culture you're, you're in, the country that you're in, the norms and values and belief systems that you are grown up with, um, levels of expectation. And there's many other things that can help shape and give a identification to you as to what it is that you're going to be or become. And... Um, Figuring out who you are through all of that is is a path we all go on. We're all sort of, we have a journey and a transitional period in terms of figuring out who we are as people. If you are given a supportive environment in which to discover that, then um, you can, you're more likely to feel held and supported in discovering who or what you want to become. Um, if those conditions are not supportive, um, if you're denied the right to your own voice, if you're not permitted to feel or to be yourself, then that's going to be difficult and that's going to have a negative impact on your sense of self and what that looks like for you. And somewhere along the line, it's likely that you may develop difficulties in working out how much of myself I actually own, like what parts of me belong to me and what parts of me are the ideas of other people. Hmm. How much of the picture am I creating here? And there's many people who don't actually know that that's actually what's happening to them. How loud is my own voice in trusting who I am as a person and the path I want to choose in life? And how much of that is 
the ideas and expectations of other people and how much affects their choice. Like, is this my own idea and interpretation of what I want or has this been, is this been borrowed or lifted from somewhere else? And it's about sort of, it's like two circles and it's like in the middle is the authenticity. So you've got your own voice and you've got maybe other people's and to put it simplistically, and it's like, how do I get closer to my own, my own self and moving towards that inner circle where I am, who and where I want to be? I see. How hard is it to be, because this is something I've, I've been thinking a lot about, authenticity and mm. not, you know, I've taken my own hiatus from socials and stuff um, mm-hmm. because to spend more time on myself and my development versus what I'm expected to be and what to wear and what to follow. Mm. Yeah. How, how easy is it to be an your authentic self in 2021 when we live in a day and age of social media and society just wanting you to fit a certain box? Mm. Um, extremely difficult. Um, not impossible though, but extremely difficult. I think, as I say, that lots of variances can help support that or, or hinder that. So things like a your um, your primary caregivers are the sort of the first people in your life. So um, could be a mother or father. It could be someone who has that parental figure in your life. So they're the first sort of people um, that you will have. A connection or an attachment towards and they um, invariably shape sort of the early stages of who you are as a person so if that relationship is um, stable loving supportive encouraging you are more likely to be able to flourish into whatever direction you want to go in if you're not in a environment that has any of those things, that's going to make it confusing. It could be alienating. It could be um, upsetting. It could be disorientating. Whatever, if the quality of that relationship is is not particularly good, that's going to make it more difficult. And aside from that, outside of the home, if you don't have um, any other um, emotional buffers, so for example, a supportive network. So if you don't have um, a a wide circle of friends, for example, there's nobody that you, or a place to go that you can get support from if you aren't getting it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, That's also important. Having supportive relationships outside of your home place Um, on top of that is also important and for some people that is not at their disposal that isn't something that they have and so if you have no support in the home and you have no support outside of the home it can be a very lonely and scary place to live in the world and it makes living life very hard to do um, without direction maybe without purpose, maybe without a sense of who you are, what you're doing or where, where you want to go. It can feel very aimless yeah. and without purpose. Um, and that, that can be very, very, very difficult um, to navigate your way through and to, um, 
to work through. I mean, there's not a sort of direct solution for that kind of thing, but for those who may feel like they're already there or they're leading towards that path, what if they haven't got the support from immediate family or, like you said, um, that platform of um, support from friends, mm -hmm. what would be the next go-to? Um, it, would it would it be to a professional like you or would it be to their GP? It can be. So there's a, there's a number of places. Um, there's lots of um, helplines that are available, sort of like Samaritans, Calms, uh, Mind is, a, is another one. Um, they're already out there um, to support um, people. There's lots of helplines already out there. Um, the GP is quite often somewhere that people can, can go. Um, or yes, therapy, if they feel that um, this is something that they need to take to therapy, that would be another option that they can take. Sort of the helplines can be very um, beneficial sort of to get an immediate response, especially if you're in a state of crisis. It's not like a Before you come and see term. me, yeah. If something's, in, it's particularly useful for an emergency situation. Okay. And that's that's the basis for primarily why they're there. And um, there's also other in, like information helplines to get support with something that could lead on to referrals to some another agency or potentially um, therapy. So those helplines we've mentioned are particularly useful and will continue to be for a very immediate, urgent emergency um, situations. That's that's they're really helpful for that. If um, that isn't something that you need right now, then other avenues are also. I mean, there's lots of like apps now that um, are um, centered around mental health um, that you can do in your own time. Sort of, there's like techniques and information. So there is. Um, there have I have experienced and seen a marked improvement in the marketing and sort of awareness of mental health as an issue um, and sort of platforms by which um, and avenues that you can go to to get information or help in some description. Um, it's, it's definitely there and they all, and those lines will always will always be there. The only thing that will stop somebody going or many things will stop people from going. Um, I like to um, break it down into sort of three areas is guilt, shame and judgment. So when you're experiencing um, mental health issues of whatever nature, um, there is a lot of guilt that's caught up with that. Um, there's a lot of shame involved in mental health issues. Um, that can vary particularly um, from culture to culture, certain attitudes um, towards mental health um, and their ideas around that. Um, and judgment, people fear judgment for their mental health. Um, certain portrayals of that, um, people's attitudes towards that can um, affect people's capacity to want to get help for that because there's a big stigma still that exists around yeah. mental health as an issue. I mean, we spoke, we spoke about this last time, mm. um, but I think it's something 
we should definitely discuss in a bit more detail, probably mm -hmm. sharing our own experiences. I think from me and Mike's perspective, where we come from Filipino culture, Filipino background, I have someone very close to me who suffers from mental health disorder. Um, she suffers from depression. The, from what I know, the family, to them, it's almost like it's non-existent. It's that, it's what we mentioned before. It's that whole uh, mentality that you just, there's no such thing. Just pick yourself up mm -hmm. and just get on with your day. And it's, it's very hard to hear that, especially when it's coming from such a important figure in your life. Like, like you said, the parental caregivers. Yeah, so that's, when I hear that and then sort of the support is coming from me and only so very few people because she, she's not, like you said, there's, it comes with guilt and shame. She doesn't want too many people to uh, take on the burden on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. But then she can't go to the people who she should be able to go to. It's kind of that whole cultural aspect where it's, it's something that I've recognised, not just in her parents. Um, I'd probably say my parents are guilty of it. A lot of, you know, a lot of my aunties and uncles, I can imagine just this is how their, their thought process is when it comes to mental health. It's very, they're very oblivious to the whole thing. This is why I think it's, it's an important subject to discuss and get out there because I think the older generation, the older generation especially need to be educated that this is a 21st century day-to-day um, -day ordeal that many people are suffering and they need to mm -hmm. kind of, they need to stop being so one-sided and uh, you know open their minds to the fact that this is a really important issue that they need to start helping and supporting not just within their own families, but just, you know, they need to just be made aware because it's, it's, I don't know. How to but people need to be open to that. I think with what you're saying, it's about recognising, so say, let's say someone we know close is suffering, I, someone close to me is, and, you know, parent-wise, mm -hmm. they are very dismissive. Mm. Um, they bring faith into it and mm. you know just say a prayer pray to God and that's not to salute like that's it's not enough. always Definitely. but I think it's important where you need to also if someone's not giving you the advice and the answers that you need you need to go to an expert someone that's like true. Jerome or someone like there's so many different ways you can get help in like so, something that works for you won't work for me and you need to be seek your own and acknowledge that you need help if your parents are not helping you, you need to go and find someone who can. And I think that's the most important. Your parents don't have I the think so. We also need to recognise that some of them do. There, there will be that person who does, but they got remember, you've got to remember that they could be living in a household with their parents and for them not sort of educating themselves about it, it creates that awkwardness where it, because they're living together, that whole situation where... They could break down having breakfast and the dad's thinking, what are you doing? And doesn't show any attention to it. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of thing that I'm talking about is that it's very important that it should be coming from parents and caregivers. And I think essentially what I'm trying to say is that my, my background, my culture, I think there's a lot of improvement that needs to be done. And I could say that for a lot of different cultures, um, there is something that needs to be done. And that's why... I think mental health awareness is very key in this day and age, especially for this month. Like you said, they do need to speak up. They, need, they do need to get the support themselves. But 
the people that are around them like 24-7 also need to be held accountable for, you know, being part of that support system as well. But if they don't know anything better, you can't expect someone. Let's say a smoker, That's right? True. Who's, who's been smoking, my hand smoked for like 60 odd years. To get someone to stop doing something that they only know is very difficult yeah. and they need to be open to change and a lot of people aren't and that's the thing that's like, you know you're to, you're, what you're talking about there is two different two two things you're talking about a, a generation hmm. and um culture okay. and those things impact people's ideologies and belief systems around mental health and what that looks like um, or if mental health is even such a thing. And um, you're right, uh, Mike, it's about people are products of their environment to a certain degree. And behaviours and um, attitudes have come from somewhere else. And people aren't always aware of their behaviours and how that impacts on other people. Mm. Um, so it's not something that's easily acknowledged or noticed or easily attended to. And um, you saw the phrase, history repeats itself is quite common, where sort of a generation to generation, the same type of behavior is sort of displayed. And then the other, um, the, the generation picks that up. And so it's like, where does the chain starts to, start to break? Um, and I think people who, have, who struggle for help, um, it can be very, I know it can be very lonely, it can be, feel very alienating, it can be very isolating, it can be very, when your guilt and shame is strong to the point of almost feeling, people can be paralysed by their own issues, um, it makes it very, very difficult to reach for help. Um, a lot of the time, it's so overwhelming and powerful and strong and in their minds, they feel like they're the only person in the world that's going through that and that no one else could possibly understand them. And in reality, there's lots of support out there and there's, there's lots of people who may also experience the same thing, but because it's so unique and specific to them and they are the only ones going through it in their own lives, it feels like nobody else could possibly understand. There's nobody that could help me or could could listen <clears throat> and in some of these people's lives there isn't a space at all to even for them to kind of breathe and acknowledge their own feelings or even to name what they are so there's lots of people who have experiences or feelings and they don't really know what that is and um, or they're denied permission to feel anything um, or not given the space to, to, to sit with their thoughts. Or it could be that that's too difficult for them to do. So there could be um, lots of different coping mechanisms um, that people do to help them to survive their day-to-day -day living situation. But it's not something that's particularly serving them well, but it's how they've managed to survive. So that's... Um, that's can be very, as I say, very difficult for, for people to seek help when everything feels stood against them in that sort of regard. You mentioned listening, and I think that's a very important one where, Jeff, you said that you, you are someone who has been confiding in, who, with someone who's suffering from a mental, um, a mental health disorder. 
if you don't, if you're not an expert, you just need to tread carefully too. So what you could say might be coming from a really good place that you're trying to help, but it could actually be a hindrance. So I think you need to be very careful and what you and not impose your own belief onto someone else because like jay you said everyone's different and knowing someone who has suffered from um, a mental health issue historically the way i spoke to that person i thought i was coming from a good place and said you know it'll be fine you know don't let it get to you it's a very stubborn attitude that i use myself to mm -hmm. i guess handle stress and but that's the thing we don't this. a lot of people don't know the way to respond or react no. when someone does open up. And I think this is one of the things I wanted to discuss with Jerome because having been the person that, I've been that person for a while that has been the person that the, the other person has been confiding in. So I know I've, I've learned a few things along the way and listening is one of those things that I guess you could say, is it another source of therapy for that individual that is going through hard times? I think it's having that support system where there's a person they go to who actually just listens, doesn't give their own insights and just lets the person, if the guy or the girl wants to break down and cry, doesn't have to say, why are you crying? It will be okay. It's yeah. fine to just have that silence and just be in the room with them. That can be That's... that can be very very powerful. Mm. A lot of people nece not necessarily looking for advice or looking for someone to tell them what to do or to because no, them. no one will understand what they're going through. But to to be what people often find that are missing in their lives is is, is a space where they can feel heard and understood. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to give me advice. I don't necessarily want you to tell me what to do. Um, I just want I just want someone who is able to hear me mm -hmm. to sort of validate my existence and my my um, what well, my experiences in my world as I as I see it. And just to be able to share that with somebody can be very, very powerful. I know when I have clients who speak with me and for many of them therapy isn't something that they've ever had before and sort of after the first hour sort of checking with them and like how how have you experienced this first session because you've said an awful lot today and, and I want to acknowledge how difficult that might have been for you um talking in a way that you haven't been able to before because quite often a lot of it is um there's a lot of containment when you're going through things with no sort of conduit for it to pass through. So it's sort of like a, um, like a volcano and it's just storing and storing and it's just like, and then it just, people like explode or crash at various yeah. levels because they're holding on to an awful lot without anywhere for it to go. It's like a pressure cooker. Yeah. And without any support or any feeling that they could get help or someone who is able to listen, um, that only serves to amplify the um, levels of loneliness that they feel or the impression that nobody cares enough to want to hear what I am going through, what I'm feeling. It can feel invalidating, like I'm not really important. So it can reinforce the ideas that people have already in their head. I don't, I'm not important enough to be noticed nobody has the time for me so that means well then 
that then diminishes or decreases my value, my confidence, my self-worth. That if nobody has the time to take to speak to me or to hear what I've got to say, that doesn't make me very important. So if I'm not important to them, I'm, I'm less likely to be important to myself. And that's when it goes a lot, a long way downhill from there. If you're, yeah, if you're sitting with that mindset, <coughs> excuse me, for a consistent period of time, your overall general impression of yourself is going to be a negative one. And if, you, if that's the thoughts that are sort of percolating, swimming around in your head on a day-to-day basis, that's a very, very um, deeply um, sad and um, upsetting place to find yourself in. Because I, I sort of talk about um, how important and how valuable people are because everybody is everybody is important everybody is 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 valuable everybody has a has a right to feel and to feel heard and and all these basic rights that people have had either taken away from them or um once had and have lost or um never even believed that they had or even felt that they deserved and it can be very empowering because a lot of the time they feel disempowered and which is also a contributing factor to not wanting to seek help because they just feel hopeless, helpless, powerless, everything and sort of a loss of control. Like I don't, I don't know how to manage what's happening to me, what's happening around me, what's happening in front of me. <clears throat> and um as a result, it could lead to self-harm and... It could lead into lots of, lots of behaviours that manifest itself um, in lots of different ways. You can, yeah, so internally, you, you, it could lead to um, behaviours such as drinking to kind of block out the pain, oh, okay. substance abuse, um, because if you're dealing with a lot of pain, these people are dealing with an awful lot of pain. And quite often, they want to shut that out. And they will look for ways to diminish any sort of pain that they're trying to, that they feel unable to or feel that they can't deal with. Like, this is too much. I'm going to find a way. To numb it. To to stop that from, to stop me from feeling. And that could look, that presents itself in a variety of ways. So maybe a few alcohol. <clears throat> alcohol is one of them. Drugs. It could be, yeah, it could be a whole variety of things. Um, could be self-harm. It, it, it's that's sort of the the outcome of the symptom of the um, behaviour, but it's not the it's not looking at the root cause. So that's what's that's what's happening on the outside, but what's actually contributing towards that. Um, and it's sort of looking underneath that um, external behaviour to, to sort of work out what, what was, what's going on there. Um, early before we started the podcast, you said you had some statistics for us. Yes. So um, I wanted to speak about sort of the numbers in terms of... Um, mental health and um, 
sort of the prevalence of it. This comes from um, the Mind um, website. For anyone who doesn't know, Mind is a, a mental health charity based in the UK. Um, and on their homepage, I'm, I'm directly taking um, these uh, figures from their uh, website. I think the study is um, <clears throat> from 2014, so it's quite a while ago. But it will be interesting to sort of look at this now and then sort of talk a bit about what that looks like in, in 2021. So under this section here, how common are mental health problems? So they say that one in four people will experience a mental health problem of some kind each year in England. Um, wow. One in six people report experiencing a common mental health problem, <clears throat> excuse me, like anxiety and depression in any given week in England. Um, in any given week in England, specific diagnoses, so you get mixed anxiety and depression, eight in 100 people. Generalized anxiety disorder, six in 100 people. Post-traumatic stress disorder, four in 100 people. Depression, three in 100 people. Phobias, two in 100 people. Obsessive compulsive disorder, one in 100 people. Panic disorder, fewer than one in, in, in 100 people. Uh, there's things like antisocial personality disorders, three in 100. Borderline personality disorders, two in 100. Bipolar disorder, two in 100. Uh, it talks about suicidal thoughts and self-harm. So one in five people have suicidal thoughts. It's very concerning numbers. It is. And this is, this is from 2014, this survey. One in 14 people may self-harm. One in 15 people attempt suicide. Women are more likely to have suicidal thoughts and make suicide attempts than men. But men are three, more, three times more likely to take their own life uh, than women. Um, it's important that I mention that this is a 2014 survey that many of these figures come from, but they only looked at people who were aged 16 and over, uh, who were living in private housing and who were living in England. Um, data wasn't collected in Wales. Um, this excludes lots of groups of people. For example, these figures do not include people who are in hospitals, in prisons, in sheltered housing, homeless or rough sleeping. So in truth, the actual numbers are probably a lot higher than what I gave you there. And sort of if you fast forward to 2021, after the year we had um, with the global pandemic, the coronavirus, I can only imagine that those numbers double would have increased exponentially oh. and that's saddening um, even without the coronavirus I think that would have that would have increased um, without it I think the uh, past year has been traumatic in lots of different ways for people um, and if you add on top of that any existing mental health issues that people already had at the time of the coronavirus and that's impacted on them in a variety of different ways. I know the suicide rate has increased in the past year. People's anxiety and depression has exacerbated um, or people have entered into that as a, as a result of the coronavirus and the situations that people have found themselves in unexpectedly. And the, the impact of that cannot be ignored or, or denied in people's mental health when you think about how access to services were sort of stopped. So anyone who was 
getting help or support, those things would have been shut down or are made unavailable for almost maybe best part of a year for people. It would have increased um, people's levels of um, isolation, alienation, um, detachment, disconnect, um, and because these are very real situations that people felt like people the people who felt like they were prisoners of their own homes for a lot of the time and if your mental health was suffering before the coronavirus that that would have had a massive impact on your well-being um, and if you didn't have access to any support that you were getting with that or you found it difficult to get support during that time that would have made living this past year unimaginably difficult so we cannot underestimate the impact that that has had and continues to have you know there are uh, manifestations of this virus that will play out in months or years to come where people will be able to kind of step out of themselves look back over that and think just what was happening to me there's lots of people who are still going through life and not realizing the trauma that they're dealing with when as a country, collectively, we're dealing with the collective trauma around that um, on top of people's individual um, issues. And that's very, um, I mean, how do you sort of begin to, to, to explore that mm. without pseudo support services or nowhere to go with that? Where is the space in people's lives to kind of sit with those thoughts um, around that? It's very difficult. If because I've I've recently gone back into the office and this is this is one of the things that made me remember uh, about mental health because they they're actually promoting it um, at work and they want more people to be more outspoken and go to the I think it's the HR department that are kind of the ones that are dealing with any um, inquiries about you know special cases that the, they, they need to look into in terms of being more supportive to people coming back into the office. Mm-hmm. What's your stance on that? Do you think there needs to be more support within a workplace? I mean, it's for me, it's an obvious, an obvious answer of yes. So mm-hmm. more, more companies, more workplaces should have this sort of support system, but not everyone can provide that. Yeah. Um, because obviously there's other contributing factors that need to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. But for those listening who possibly are business owners or they work in the HR department or, you know, they, they have their own mental health issues, what, what can they do to sort of promote it in their jobs? Uh, how do they go around communicating it to sort of line managers and people in, in those specific departments that can set up a sort of support network within a workplace? Um, I think... Uh, that really depends on their own understanding of what of this like mental health and its impact on people and I mean um, I know that I don't know the numbers specifically but I know sort of um, long-term sick is is quite prevalent in in the workplace and if you calculate sort of the number of lost hours in a year and earnings or whatever for businesses it adds up to quite a lot for long-term sick and a lot of that is sort of, um, some of that is down to um, the workplace environment. Mm. And um, it's not surprising that sickness um, or absences um, on long term is increasing and it is 
quite a high rate for a lot of um, businesses. Um, I think what could be done better is more um, supportive, a supportive environment for that, a place, a space, a platform where um, that can be attended to. Um, I think there is, we spend an awful lot of time at work, right? So it's, it, we spend more time in the office uh, well, certainly we did before the, the pandemic anyway, but work takes up an awful lot of our of our lives, mm. essentially. And um, Do you not think that work pays, plays a big part in the numbers? Because we're just told to, you know, study, get a job, great job, get a great house. And if you can't reach those goals, you feel like a failure. I think, yeah, I, I agree. There's certainly a trajectory. Um, sort of a societal standard of what is expected of you. Mm. It's, it's like a Western society ideals on um, particularly sort of get a good education, uh, get a good job, you can earn money and like work productivity um, to, to have these things. And um, that's sort of the goal, if you like, um, or ex expected um, way of living that is impressed upon us from a very early age. But, yeah, back to culture, like you were saying, Jeff, earlier, like parents tell you to get a good job, get a good education to get a good job, exactly. then to get a house and a family, and that's it. They don't give you, a, they don't guide you or give you a path to it. You're just told that's what life's about. Whereas when you said, Jerome, earlier about well being, the whole purpose of your counseling is to aid well being. That's in essence a very small organic area where what makes you happy, and I think yeah. a lot of people who do suffer it's because of these false, what's the word, ideologies, just no. ideologies of what makes what what is happiness. The idea, really. yeah, like, it's it's a bit like what I was saying earlier. It's that these are ideas and expectations that belong to other people that are oppressed upon us, and we we absorb those ideologies and those belief systems and adopt them believing them to be our own and like this is the path that i i want to go on and a lot of people don't necessarily feel that way mm -hmm. but feel like this is the normalized way of of being and in order to there's a lot of um sort of status and um requirement to be those things there's a lot of like health and wealth and success is like tied up to things like job prospects and tied up to who you are as a person like if you if you um have a particularly well recognized job or you're in a well recognized respected field that somehow equates or increases your status your identity um how people treat you it doesn't necessarily make you happy though. it doesn't necessarily make you happy um, it, it doesn't necessarily lead to prosperity. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that this is what you're meant to do. Mm -hmm. On paper, it's, it ticks all the boxes from a sort of societal point of view or other people's expectations. But if it, it's, it may not be what you want to do. And that's what I was saying about sort of authenticity. It's like this, this is a highly paid job. And it will get you the house and it will, you know, get you a nice car and it might get you, you know, a nice holiday every year with your family. Um, but is it actually what you want to do? People's, I, people who want to do other things, it might not seem um, rational or it might not seem 
viable or it might not seem profitable because it's we're very particularly this country it's very financially orientated it's all about revenue management and in productivity we're driven equals, by numbers equal, right? exactly it's funny, well, on that as well because i remember i was thinking about this on the way here where at the moment i'm looking to get a part-time job on top of my full-time to feed a passion of mine and to learn but then I've heard people scaremonger me go, oh, but don't go over a certain threshold because you might pay more tax. So it's, it kind of leaves you, it caps you. People want to remain at a lesser place because they don't want to be stung more by, let's say, taxes. But, in, but it keeps you where you are. Mm-hmm. So it's another place. To, it keeps you in a box. Same as being self-employed. Oh, you've got to do your self-tax evaluations and this, that, the other. Mm-hmm. You don't want to break out from the norm because mm-hmm. it's difficult or, oh yeah, you can't afford this because um, you only earn this amount or you can't buy unless you have a combined amount and you're very limited, uh, but also a lot of that's imposed on yourself. Yeah, definitely. A lot of that is, again, it's like societal standards, culturally, we are placed and put in boxes and we never quite, can sometimes never really reach our full potential and what in my um, model, sort of self-actualizing, so becoming the person that you you want to be. The idea of what that looks like can be quite frightening for people because there's already a pre-established sort of trajectory of what what looks like like success for people, like sort of work and then uh, education, work, family, whatever, whatever. Um, but if that's not a sort of timeline you want to work towards. Um, what does what would my life look like against the norm, mm. against the grain? Um, you can feel very unsupported or um, dismissed for having uh, another path that you want to follow that is not the norm. And you will um, get people who may doubt you or who will cast out about you or who will tell you that that's not possible or who who really projecting insecurities around what you're trying to do that perhaps they wish they had the courage to do as well. So sometimes from a loving place, it's where people will tell you, no, don't do it. All they're scared of themselves um, to to fulfill something that perhaps they wish they had the courage to do also. And what they're seeing in you is something that they wish they had for themselves. It's Um, it's that fear of change from what you we're so used to that regimented um, day-to-day sort of lifestyle mm. to then having to, you know, the thought of having to juggle something else kind of go outside of that box, outside yeah. of that line. I think people have a lot of negative thoughts towards that, but that shouldn't be the case, really. And I think a lot of us, our stress, I'm talking about work, is because it is... A lot of it, we revolve our lives, our seven-day week, around a job. Mm. And we we sacrifice our own well-being and growth on a job because we get a... Sucked in. We get sucked in. We get um, we rely on a monthly wage uh, to keep us again where we need to be, and it's never enough. Mm. So this is where I feel a lot of stress and anxiety stems from. It stems mm. from work. And also feeling like you're a failure. The cost of living is really high. Yeah, and you had a dream that, you know, you wanted to go into some sort of profession. And let's be honest, how many people have achieved that? And I think that's where a lot of us feel beat down and shit about where we are now at an age. Like you could be 21, 35, 34, 50. But it's that I haven't done what I was meant to do. But let's strip it back. Like what is important to you?
And when you find that a lot of things are very non-important in life, I think that's where you do what you said. I've circled it. I wrote, I wrote it. I've written it down. Being your authentic self. Like, I think that's the, you hit the nail on the head just by saying that because a lot of us don't know who we are. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think what's has that's awakened these sort of um, ideas around that has people have spent time. Uh, going over that in the past year so mm. in a sense their whole life and their routine came to an abrupt end as the coronavirus hit so obviously a lot of us was um, at home or working from home or had different challenges with children or whatever um, and it helped people to connect more with their family and friends it um, strengthened bonds um, it helped people reevaluate what was important in their life, how, what their their work-life balance and the percentage levels of that, it helped them address sort of, um, or do away with things that they thought they gave over importance to or value to, in uh, how much they've missed being with people that, you know, every time you, you work home, um, so you, you work late, or you didn't, you know, oh, I'll do it another time or I'll, I'll, or I'll have the time to do that, postpone things and never getting around to it. Well, there all of a sudden you had all this time in the world because you couldn't go out, you couldn't go to work. So you had all the, all the time to do some of those things that you had postponed or put off or thought you had the time for, but if, then it got around to doing if and you, you were had furloughed. time to do it. Yeah. Only if you were furloughed. On the yeah. flip side, if you're like Jeff working from home, you're now bringing work to your personal space, which is issues in itself. Yeah, so, so there was a fallback to that. That was definitely a challenge. If, if you're working from home, that was a different dynamic. This is why I mentioned it in the first place is, I think it's very important that it's, it's recognized in, in all areas of life, um, whether it's professional at home, uh, within your friendship circle, um, it, it needs to be something that I think I, I feel very strongly that it should be out there I mean people who are going for it themselves they may not like you said want to speak to anyone because they've had that down, down spiral uh, path where they're feeling very isolated and lonely but we're here to try and tell you if you can if you can push yourself that that bit further to just open up to someone seek professional help um find a support system where you can then by all means do it i don't know like i don't know if i can say anything more personally but if you if you do have a friend out there who is going through tough times just just be patient and like mike said don't don't just rely on one text or here with just you know on social media and just you need to kind of make the time for that person if you can because you don't know what they're going through you see a window of if you see a window life yeah. and you think okay they're fine but if someone does truly mean something to you you haven't check in on your friends basically yeah. and, and family as well because yeah we're all dealing with this pandemic even prior to the pandemic we're dealing with life and yeah. and the yeah. ways that come with it and the fears and you know the good times and bad but you need to if someone calls you have the respect to call them back um also just protect uh, i'm talking from my own experience now as well where don't make yourself available 
to everyone and anyone. Um, just respect your own self and the time and energy that you have and don't give that out easily, willy-nilly. Mm. I think that's a very, that's things like as individuals, we're constantly managing. So like reaching out and checking on other people is only sort of safe to do if we are okay mm. in that moment. So I can like, I can only make myself available to others if I've, if I've had enough resources to make sure that I'm okay and that I'm safe and that I'm boundary. Cause if I'm, if I'm not, I'm, I'm going to, it's going to be very difficult for me to check in on somebody else. If I feel um, like I need to tend to some of my own issues or my own well-being. So there's a lot about sort of how available you can be, because there's lots of, it's difficult again, for those people to sort of reach out to others um, and there's people who think about others uh, quite a lot, but find it difficult to make that text or to call people. And it's not like they don't, they don't want to um, or don't care about them. Um, but we must also sort of take point out that, that there might be things like my ability or my, my availability for people can change at any time. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean I care any less or that I, 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 I'm not able to help you um, all the time, but I've got to be in a place where that's possible. And that isn't always a guarantee because we don't know how we are going to be from moment to moment. It changes all the time. So I think we need to be aware of attending to our own levels of well-being, so that we, um, we can offer and keep safe whilst we're doing that um, because that's if we if we're under capacitated or our sort of battery level is quite low it's going to make it very difficult to then offer support to somebody that needs it when we're not giving it to ourselves so how do you where, where you help others you know i'd like to think i check in on you yeah <laughs> but, um, how, how do you cope because you're taking on a lot of stories and you're listening daily almost almost every day of the week to people and their struggles how, yeah. how do you callous your own self to not get affected by people's experiences um, it's difficult i mean that's again it's a constant management thing and um in therapy and training it's it's we like to call it self-care and how we keep ourselves safe and boundary when working with clients because the material that they present, we're never going to know what we're, what we're going to deal with in the room. And I think um, that's been quite difficult with living with three lockdowns in the past year because access to certain things that I might have been able to do, like going out, like seeing friends and family, those things that I had um, to look forward to that help um, take me away from my work and put me back in a place where I can enjoy spending time and reconnecting with people. I didn't have the opportunity to do that. So that was quite difficult for me to, that was sort of one of my go-to things that I didn't have access to. Um, I have a peer group. I have a, a group of therapists that I trained with and we're still very close and good friends with that I check in with. Um, I have a supervisor. So um, most therapists, if not all, I think it's mandatory in the UK, at least I think anyway, that we have a supervisor um, that I, I um, talk to once a month about my, um, my work with clients and uh, yeah, just um, being able to talk openly um, about how you feel. 
I think if if you have people in your life or a space where you can go, where you um, are given that time, I think time is it's like how much time do we have? How much time can we give to ourselves and for and for each other? And I think that's really important. Um, and how valuable is that time? Like the use of it, and where you where you spend that, mm. um, and the value of what you know of of that time being spent with whatever it is that you're doing. And I think very very basic. A lot of it isn't particularly complicated um, to do, but it's we live very busy lives. There's a lot of uh, there's it's very noisy. There's there's lots of things going on. There's lots of things that we building and integrate. There's like external factors, pressures, societal standards. There's a whole combination of things that kind of sort of bolt on or sort of get involved in your own life that become meshed in with other things. And it can become difficult to sort of clear the cash, if you like, and strip back and keep in focus, keep what is what you consider a priority mm. versus immediate situations that you have to tend to and any pressures that might come with that. So do you think with social media now, that's even more difficult for people to take the time out to focus on themselves? Um, you, how, how hard is that? I see, I see the digital age um, as a blessing and a curse. Um, I think the digital age, in its, when it's sort of at the dawn of it was quite exciting it was new it was fresh it was something that can bind us all together um in our own homes without you know you could connect with people all over the world and the idea of that was very exciting i think um you fast forward to now i think it's the use of it and the way it has developed um we have had in like a almost what i would say is a, a propensity to be attached to to technology, particularly our phones. Um, I think most of us are feel inseparable, like inseparable with them. Um, I think most of our lives involve social media on some level. Um, and if we're not users of it, we're certainly still affected by it. I think um, things like Facebook and Instagram, particularly our social sites, that impact on the way that we live our lives. And again, um, the way those sites are work, the, the way that they work um, sort of, and the algorithms when you're going through their feeds, it's again, it's, it's targeted material to generate income. So you're, they're looking at things that will incite immediate reactions so whether that be anger whether that be um distress or something that will make you react because it will get people interacting so it can be a very um negative thing for you to um lend yourself to it also impacts on your well-being so you get sort of um very heavily doctored filtered pictures and people presenting them themselves in a particular lifestyle um very heavily curated moments of their life that is not the entire picture and people who have um 
sort of confidence, esteem, self-worth issues, people who follow these other people um, quite often sort of compare themselves to these people. Um, and you see lots of holiday pictures, lots of um, impossible beauty standards um, that then when they sort of against people look at that against their own their own life ultimately will end up feeling um quite sure. bad quite shit about themselves <laughs> yeah less um less important even if even if there's an understanding that that isn't real because yeah. a lot of people know that that isn't real but it's still the it's, FOMO, isn't it's still it? the impression that that yeah. is the ideal because that's what you're constantly seeing. That is what is sort of held up as the standard way of living and being. And if you don't, if you're not even anywhere near that sort of zone, um, then it can make you feel very um, invalidated. It can make you feel less worthy. Um, it can give you a real complex as to your identity and where you fit in all of that. So um, few for thought on this one, Jeff, you were saying earlier about how our elders um, shunned the idea of mental health being an issue. Now imagine generations where people are having children and their validation comes from social media. But like what are you then teaching your children? Then? Yeah. So it's very... Scary. It has, it's it's a, it has it's like, like Jerome said, it, it's... It's a blessing and a curse. And when it is a curse, it's very detrimental to someone's mental health when they do get to that point where they're looking at other people or that they consider role models on, on socials. and Or where they should be at that yeah. age. And, and it's put on such a high pedestal to be having holidays and having the best job. What it does is it offers up, it offers up your worth and value to other people. Mm. And so I am only as good or as worthy or as respected or as valuable as what somebody else sees me as, or if I achieve a certain thing, then this is going to bring me X, Y, and Z. There was a so it's all external. So there isn't anything in that that says that um, a place where it comes from organically, internally, it's like I, I'm, you'll feel like almost at the mercy of, of, of this thing that's much greater than us and it's stripping it back again talking about what's important you need to i think talking about mental health to get help you need to acknowledge you need it counseling means lots of different things to people um or the, what they think that involves so in the sort of first session it's very important to manage clients expectations like this is not something that's going to fix you i'm not here to give you advice i'm not here to provide you answers um, you, you, I'm, I'm here to support you i'm here to listen to you and whatever you want to um bring into the room to uh get support with i can i can work with you on that if that's something you want to do um and it's important but some like people do ex they expect like responses they respect uh, expects uh, solutions um so i sort of ask about have you had therapy before what's your understanding of therapy what are you looking to get out of therapy so that's all sort of talked about in the first session so i get an understanding as to what they are thinking and feeling around what it is that they're entering into and also my responsibility is to sort of manage their expectations based on what i hear like this is this is 
these are the things I'm I'm not here for you to do. Like I can't do for you, but here's what I I, I can do for you. Okay. Um, and you just sort of find a way to manage that very early on because if you don't set those boundaries, your client's expectations may not be met, and that can be very difficult in the relationship mm-hmm. with the, the therapist. So at some point down the line, if they think they're going to get something that the therapist isn't able to provide them. Yeah, like you said with your friend, Jeff, I think it's silence and the noise um, rather than distracting yourself from an issue that you're mm-hmm. suffering from. Um, actually, yeah, stripping away distractions and other things in life and actually seeking the right help and the, the right advice and the right experts mm. in the field that you're needing help with. And that goes with anything. That goes with like wanting to learn an instrument or, you know, you're not going to go to someone who can't play a guitar to learn a guitar or etc. So just being open for help. And that's another thing. A lot of people think that they don't need help. It's you scary think- because if you're, you're living with your own self and your own identity, whatever that has done for you in your own life up until such point, what happens in therapy is like, we're unpacking a lot of issues that the client is presenting and has had in their life over a long period of time, potentially. And what they sort of believe to be true or what they thought they were as a person or the identity that they had can sometimes be um, centered around some of those issues, which is separate from who they are as people. So they can sort of get those things quite um, entangled together yeah. and sort of unpacking a lot of those issues and working out who they are as people can be very um, daunting and frightening scary it's like this is all that I know this is what I'm used to it might be painful but it's the pain that I'm used to if I were to have that removed what would my life look like what what could I possibly be um, and as is Sad as it may be, some people um, live with the pain because it's better than um, a life or something that they don't know or understand or could or or see, Um, because that can be too frightening for them to kind of explore that possibility. Change. It could be like I could be sort of unpicking everything that I knew about myself and there's a loss of sort of control in that mm. and understand because I don't know where that's going to go. And that can be too too much for some people to want to um, enter into and they may not, may not be ready for that at that time. And that's okay. But that might be what, the, there, there'll be some good work in that if they felt they were able to do that, if they thought that that would be beneficial for them. If what they're going through and what they're doing is no longer serving them in the way that it used to, or they they want to find a way of living a life that is different to the way that they are doing so now. I think where where we are now in terms of having spoken about it openly, what what would you say to someone like me and Mike who who are kind of like. Oh, what's the word? Standbys who who witness you know people going through the problems. 
what can we do? I think uh, talking is is something I will always encourage and and support. I think if you can if you can find time to be engaged with your own feelings, your own human responses to what is happening to you, and sort of um, develop a relationship with your feelings, that's 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 explorative, mm. and um, that that's a really good place to. Um, it's a bit like an excavation project, sort of really attend to your feelings because that's um, the difficulty when people deny themselves, deny looking within or exploring um, or pretending it doesn't exist um, or, not, or, or feeling something and not knowing quite what it is. I think time to attend to that would be very important for your own growth and development and understanding of who you are as a person and what it is, what certain things trigger you and what the responses are for that and where they come from because that will help work out behavioral responses to certain things and perhaps that will in turn um, affect your relate uh, your patterns of relating um, in, in, in like so you're saying to yourself but also with other people around you so we if we were to you're basically saying we should work on ourselves first before I think that's we even a good think place. about even trying to help those that need it. I, I think I think that's some, but that's something like that's a constant thing. That's a man, that's a lifelong management process. Yeah. But you'd be surprised how many of us don't. Yeah. yeah. Take time. We 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 are very distracted and. But where is the time? Right. This is mm. the point I was saying. We very mm. we get very little time to do that because our lives are so packed with other things. By choice. Sometimes by choice, some people don't believe they have one, um, depending on what the situation is, or feel that they don't deserve that. Um, and this is where we need to be a bit more outspoken. Some people feel disempowered and don't feel like they, they, they have the right to make a choice mm. or feel like they have the power to make those choices for themselves. Mm. A lot of people have that right taken away or people who are in existence who have never been given that right to make a decision for themselves. Um, just like telling somebody that that's your right is, um, is, is could be something really like eye-opening for, for somebody or sort of giving them that impression that this is entirely, you, are, you should be the, the creator and designer in your own life. Um, and you have that power and that autonomy to make those decisions that um, affect you and in, impact you, hopefully in a way that's positive. Um, and nobody should have that right taken away from them. Um, but whatever you're going through, if you're sort of in crisis, it can be very difficult to sort of see that for, for what that is. And you can feel very powerless in that situation. Um, so that's why sort of working on yourself is, is very important. And just checking in with yourself, you know, how am I doing today? Like finding space, like, you know, I need time to just breathe and like whatever techniques might work for you or something like that. Um, because you're, we wear different hats as well. So we have many different titles. We have many different roles that we play with, you know, depending on, where we are, whether it be at work or in a romantic relationship or with friends or, you know, um, any other circumstance. So we're lots of, we're lots of different 
characters, if you like, or different sides of our, our ourselves. Um, so we give out a lot. We expend a lot to other things and other people. Mm-hmm. But we, I, I find, we find less time to give to ourselves in the same volumes as we give out to other people. So we deplete ourselves. We leave ourselves short by the end of the week. Or we don't even, it's short before we get to the end of the week. And our batteries are completely flat, but we still keep going, even though we don't quite get the the point to kind of charge the battery, but we're still expected to still go um, for various different reasons. So, yeah, it's important. That's self-reflection. Yes. Yeah. If you find the time to that. But again, that has that has difficulties because sometimes looking in the mirror is the sort of figuratively speaking um, can be very difficult mm. to do as well. I think, um, yeah, so there's a lot for our listeners to think about, especially for me and Mike to sort of listen back and take a take notes for our own personal um, circumstances um, is there could you can you recommend like you've already mentioned mind website is there any other sort of places that we can go to for you know to educate ourselves or look at other support um, networks um, that really depends on what you're looking for with what you're what you're, you're going through but um, there's lots of um uh, like my mind is is um, the main one. Uh, a, a good one for that. Um, as I said, if you are, have a, a GP, maybe speak to to your doctor. Um, or you, um, I know there's a waiting list um, that a lot of people are on to seek therapy mm-hmm. through the NHS, and I know that's um, that's difficult to see someone in, in, in that way um, because the waiting list is, is, is very long. Um, Samaritans um, is, is another good one. Papers, particularly um, for people who feel suicidal. That's a good helpline. Um, Mental Health Foundation. Yeah. I've seen their website. They've yeah. got a few videos. Yeah. Um, and there might be sort of localised places where closer to where people live um, that are also um, maybe available Um, if you can't find if you don't have or can't find people or have a sort of supporting network in your own world um, those there is there is help there is important for me to say there is help out there and there are a variety of ways of finding that what's about in schools um, I know that my son's school has um, they have a dedicated counsellor for young yeah. students I don't know if this is like something um, that seems to be um, on the increase um, so like I see a lot of job vacancies for school school counsellors and that seems to be um there seems to be lots of vacancies for a post like that, which I'm pleased about. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting to a stage where the mental well-being and emotional well-being of children um, is taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. I think teachers have a big responsibility, and I, I know a few of, uh, teachers in my social network, are good friends of mine, and um, they quite often feel like um, part teacher, part social worker oh. to these children because they're taking on 
um, some of the emotional problems that these children are also facing. So there's a lot of sort of um, support there that is lacking in schools and um, having, I think that's um, dependent on uh, the budget and finance, mm. if it's in the, the schools and boroughs that um, have that. So it's not accessible, unfortunately, everywhere. Um, but those that have it, I think, if used well and effectively, um, it's it's a great thing. It's a great thing, a great asset to have in, in a school. And certainly something I would have benefited from uh, as, a, as a young child myself, if that was something that was available when I was growing up. I'm glad that children have that. Um, Nowadays, yeah. Yeah, to, to, to um, utilise now. So that's very important. And most importantly, of course, we have you as well. <laughs> so anyone yeah. who's considering one of many I'm not therapy, the do you one. just do one-to-one therapy or do you do group therapy yes so I work um, with a one-to-one individual um, adults um, that I, I, I work with in a variety of different um, presentations currently I work on what's your, your demographic your um, age it's uh, over 18 so um i don't work with with children or teenagers um so it's yeah over 18s um is is um who i work with um for yeah a variety of of different issues um so yeah um i'm available online um through zoom or uh, via telephone or web chat um is my other option as well um and where can they find you? How can they get in contact with you? So um, my website is uh, www.davisjohnsoncounseling.co.uk. Um, that's my web website. Um, you can look on there to sort of get some biographies to who I am. Um, there's a face to go with the voice as well that you hear on there and um, how I work, what will happen in the first session if you uh, want to reach out for me and um, there's a contact number and an email address as well. So if talking about your concerns is something that you would like to do, um, then um, I am available. Um, send me a message and um, yeah, but hopefully we can work together. And you just celebrated your anniversary before. I did, yes. So um, I opened my own private practice um, on the 1st of May last year. So I've just recently um, had an anniversary for that. Um, so it's been, it's been tough opening up um, and starting a business in the midst of a, sort of the beginnings of a pandemic. Very difficult um, in terms of what would happen, what the outcome of that would be. But I, I think in retrospect, it was the right time. And actually, um, I was more than prepared to kind of help a lot of people that I knew was, was going to need it at some point, going through what we were all experiencing or had yet to experience at that point and, and beyond that. Um, so I was, yeah, sort of... Um, it sort of felt like it was the right place and the right time um, to launch. And thankfully, a year later, I'm still in business. Okay, um, many more to come. Yes, and, and hopefully, yes. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. But to help as many people uh, as I possibly can that um, reach out for support. 
I always acknowledge, even if um, sort of they make inquiries and they don't follow it up or they don't sort of eventually come and see me, I always make a point of um, acknowledging um, how difficult it might have been to reach out because I think that first initial email that I get or phone call or message is so important. So step in the right direction. Yeah, even if I don't see or hear from them again, being able to do that is something I always want to sort of notice and acknowledge for them. So that's that first step, as you say, to potentially healing what they um, they are going through. So um, Even before that, so when people find the strength to contact people like Jerome, um, what you can do and what I can do, we all can, is notice the change in behaviour of people close to you and make sure you act upon that. If there's an erratic, if there's any erraticness, is that a word, um, with your friends or family members, just dig deeper. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, we all know now when you ask if you're okay twice, um, rather than just say, yeah, I'm fine, um, but actually ask again, because... Some people might take the conversation further. Yeah, mm. just because you know, we don't know how to open up. Mm. We want to have that stiff upper lip and everything's rosy, you know? And mm. um, so, yeah, just dig deeper and conversate and actually think about other people more because I think that's what we're seriously lacking nowadays. We're all too busy in our own worlds and, yeah, people just to get back to basics. Heard. People want to feel valued people want to feel understood like that's that's every everybody wants that and if everybody benefits in a positive way when given those conditions um so if we can give some of that to to both to ourselves but also to other people um just you know a little bit of that can yeah it, it can strip life back to basics that's that's something i've taken out of the last 12 months and just find the small things that make you happy and it doesn't necessarily have to fall into something material or a a big pipe dream that you have that you can find happiness in the day-to-days and you know that's yeah well jay it's been a pleasure once again um thank you for having me on yeah you're like part of the furniture now I'm not, I'm not yeah. part of yeah. i think you're going to be a, a reoccurring guest I would Definitely. be happy to come back anytime you're um, you're uh, wanting to have me. I'll gladly come back. And next time we'll be sure to feed you. Yeah, we did hear some tummy rumblings here. So. Yeah, but that yeah. Do you know what? We could bring some red sauce. Say, uh, <laughs> like on that, we were meant to meet earlier today. Um, uh, we had a specific time. They both were late. Jeff and <laughs> so you know maybe I was attending to myself <laughs> it's all about I was, making yeah, the time yeah, exactly giving value to myself yeah. before I headed out to an audio recording yeah. guys <laughs> but yeah thank you um, it's been great to talk to you Jay thank been, you for sharing Sunday it's been amazing as usual it's always been a good a good uh, listen if it, good if it helps people out there at least one person then I think you know it's a job worth doing. And that's why I'm in the job that I am. And that's why I thank you for the opportunity to do something like this, because it further promotes what I, what I do and the benefits of um, like having therapy um, when people feel um, able to reach out. It's almost like a, our own therapy session. Oh, mate, I've been mate, I've like, like so many different <laughs> things that I just didn't 
think about before. But yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely take that back and, you know, especially when, you know, Joy mentions definitely making sure you self-evaluate yourself, make time for yourself. And that's the most important thing is making sure you're in the right place before you start offering yourself to help others. Mm. It's definitely key. So I say to people, you are the only person in your life for the longest. Your relationship with yourself is the longest one you will ever have. So fight your inner demons. So yes, make make that what you will. It's like you you put in what you 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 give out. So yeah, if you find a way to sort of look after yourself, that lends itself well to Mm. how you relate to other people. And that's that's what we have to remember is that. We aren't. A lot of people aren't, and we forget that we do need to make time for us. But you are you like we as people, as individuals, we are important Mm. to ourselves. Yeah. Um, First and foremost, before we sort of go anywhere else with that. Yeah. The value we hold for ourselves, our levels of self-respect, our levels of self-worth, our levels of power and autonomy. What levels, what kind of levels are we dealing with at that moment in time? Be your authentic self. How safe are we? How boundaried are we? Where are, what what does our life look like? You know, is there something that you would like to have that you don't have? Like, you know, what would, is there any changes that might need to be made? Like things are, things are possible if given the right environment and support in order for those things to happen. Thank you again for coming in today. You're very welcome, boys.